All right, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, Mr. I Just Made a Beat I Want to Make Love To. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? That's right. That's true. <laughs> I, You know, I don't tweet lies. And this morning, I finished a groove. We're doing the listen back. Nick's putting some bass on it, and I'm like, mm, oh, that's tasty. I don't want to eat it. I don't want to put it on my head. I want to make a love to it. Oh. I don't know exactly how, but I'm oh. going to do it. <laughs> Does it have, have 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 to do with what we talked about with Batman last week, or is it a little... <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the future, Denny. That's what NFT means. It's a new fuckable something or other. Yeah, we're going to be able to fuck your music now. Oh, I love Welcome that. to the future, pal. Dude, the, the monetary value. That's how you're going to make your billions right there. But what's up, dude? Right. Um, If Benny sounds a little bit different this week, he is up in a part unknown, uh, recording the new Mercy right. Union record. Uh, so... I know this is an audio presentation, but I'm looking right into it. Everything's happening, Benny. So what's going on up there? Tell me about it. Great, man. We found this great studio on six acres of property, converted old barn. It's converted beautifully with a uh, studio and living spaces. Just fully immersed, getting these 13 songs in. First couple days are, uh, you know, the busiest for the drummer and rhythm section normally, getting sounds and making sure the the framework is laid for these songs so people have something to build on, you know? But it was cool. You know what's interesting about this time is I, I I think I'm trying I'm trying not to be an old dog who can't learn new tricks. And and I say that because when I started recording, the technology in editing music was still working its way out of analog. You know, we were still recording to reel to reel tape, recording to ADATs using much older machines and programs where edits were much harder. So really like when you book studio time at that in those years. And when I was younger, the idea was like, you were coming into the studio with no questions, no question marks. Your songs were hammered home. Your parts were done because not only were you expected to kind of perform live takes, from end to end in the song, uh, you're also expensive, you know, so you don't, you don't want to waste time. You want to get it done like pretty quick. And, you know, there is a few songs on this record that were literally finishing up writing almost like just until the bitter end here. And I decided about a week or two ago, instead of getting into the perfectionist mindset where I have to get into it like this, let's go a little looser. And what I'm finding out is that really like with the way things are recorded these days and the kind of potential you have, it's much easier to piece these things together the way you want to do. And maybe I don't have to kill myself for weeks before and uh, and make sure that, that I can play the take end to end like insanely, you know? So maybe I'm learning how to be uh, a kid. And apparently, you know, according to the engineer I'm working with, the bulk and the lion's share of artists come in these days almost expecting to comp their songs together. You know, it's the the new anticipated way of doing it. So unless you're recording live um, and really trying to get like a captured live track, it's just so easy to get it together <laughs> now, you know? So kind of take us through that because, I, you know, most people that are listening to this, 
know the music that they like, but they have no idea, you know, kind of how the sausage gets made. So when you're writing your own part, what are you looking for Um, and all of that stuff? Uh, I mean, that's a complicated it's a it's a multi-tiered answer. I love it. As far as, you know, writing the main part, um, what comes before it, what comes after it has a lot to dictate that because sometimes it's almost like a setup part for another part. So well, you can't think of them individually. They need to be looked at as the sum of their parts, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. And then I guess initially for a drummer, you know, you got to make sure that the rhythm is locked in. But what's really important to me in rock music, especially for flow and feel, is the idea that the bottom end is matching vocal melodies and vocal patterns and that the minutiae, like the fills and the little extra doodads are matching guitars or sitting in enough open space that they belong to be there. So. That stuff comes as a matter of like years and taste and, you know, deciding where you want to put things. You have to like overplay on a record when you're 16 to realize <laughs> like, all right, it just sounds better if you back off a little bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's multi-tiered and uh, and it and it goes from song to song. But I think when you come in here, it's important to really stay open to just. If you have an idea in your head about the way you want it to sound, just get to that sound however you can. And don't worry about the rules, you know? <laughs> so if I'm putting the pieces together here, you're telling me that you guys are kind of, uh, you know, doing the same thing the Foo Fighters are doing, and you guys are going to have a disco record. That's what I'm hearing from all this. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, the way I'm talking, this is LSD acid record, man. We're just yelling for it. Yeah, but uh, I'm real happy with the songs. Everyone's playing really well. And uh, it's a beautiful place to be. It's nice to be in this environment again, too. I think I forget that uh, this is one of the places where I thrive as a human, you know? And uh, I forget, like, uh, how much I need stuff like this, you know? And that's exactly why we come to the Tune Up Beach every week, because it's a place where we thrive as humans. That's right. Let's help humanity thrive. Let's Denny. help humanity. We've got some interesting topics today. But first, this could let's... be our shirts. <laughs> our shirts, our merch. Tune Up, <laughs> helping humanity thrive. Let's get into this day music history. So on this day in 1992... Long Island zone, Hicksville High zone, Billy Joel <laughs> receives his high school diploma 25 years after dropping out of high school for music. Wow. Pretty cool story. Yeah. So apparently in 1967, when he was a senior, there's a couple different stories. Some people saying he overslept. Some people saying he missed it on purpose. We, we can ask Billy when we get him on the program, <laughs> but in 67, he was apparently playing at a piano bar to help his mom make ends meet. It interfered with his attendance, causing him to miss crucial English and gym exams. And uh, he was already in the music scene and didn't have enough time. So he didn't graduate, went on to win six Grammys, uh, be worth an estimated $180 million, be inducted into the Rock and Roll Songwriters, Long Island Music and Hit Paraders Hall of Fames. Four <laughs> Hall of Fames for Billy Joel. So all this time being a high school dropout. And then eventually, 
I guess because he was famous now, Hicksville High decided to pardon <laughs> Billy Joel and uh, accepted his published works and proofs of speaking engagements <laughs> as a substitute for his English and gym credits and gave him his high school diploma in 1992. So he didn't have to pull a Billy Madison and like go back. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that's what I have. Pretty interesting. Yeah, Benny. But proof in the pudding, you don't have to graduate stuff to be famous. You forgot his uh, his probably his biggest accomplishment, especially from somebody from Long Island. He married Christy What's Brinkley. That? Yeah, the big one. <laughs> the big one. That's why they gave it to him there because he was like, "Hey, man, if she saw something that Hicksville High didn't give him that yeah, diploma." Yeah, yeah. You know, this is the barometer you've all been telling us to look for the whole time. Yeah, that's true. All right, Benny. Well, on this day in 2009, Michael Jackson died at the age of 50 after suffering heart failure. Uh, you know, there was there's been. Investigation. There's a lot of uh, conjecture about the final moments of Michael Jackson's life. Some of it, um, you know, it may have been aided by a particular doctor. You know, we're. I'm just gonna throw out allegedly over all of this, so we don't get sued by anybody. I'm pretty sure this this court case is still going. But Benny, do you remember where you were when you heard out th- this news? Because I have the most me answer of all time for this. So after you. I don't. I don't. So let's hear yours. All right. So you know how I wound up in this sports broadcasting business the a nerd kingdom a nerdvana if you want to call it well i had this interest from a very early age and i was at i shit you not a sports broadcasting camp when i found out this news so Ah. any uh any listeners that we had that had any sort of respect for me they're like dude like what the fuck were you doing in your high school summers that was it listen (laughs) i'm glad you went to sports broadcasting camp I've invested a lot into you, Denny. I'm, I'd like. I'm glad I know you have this acumen in your background. My, Good. my family feels the you exact are a same nerd, way. Though. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. Well, you know who's not nerds, Benny. Um, and we brought them up before. Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters on Sunday they open MSG. They open New York. You know who's the ultimate not nerd? Dave Chappelle, he was there too. Dave Chappelle, um, and raced him. Oh my Pretty goodness! Cool. Exactly. Our guy Matt Perpetua of Flux Blog uh, was tweeting about the all-time great shows at MSG with the Foo Fighters reopening everything, and he tweeted out the 1987 slate. Uh, he asked if you could only see two shows of this, which would you choose? And let me list off the options for you here, Benny, because this is this is a pretty for 1987. This is. Uh, mm-hmm. Murderer's Row. They started out the MSG slate in 1987. We have Rat and Poison. Then we move on and we have Iron Maiden, Eric Clapton, followed by Huey Lewis and the News, News uh, Jose Feliciano, Luther Vandross, Brian Adams, slash the Hooters. Uh, probably the name on this list that people aren't going to remember as much. Um, Duran Duran and Erasure. Uh, then we got Paul Simon, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Your Girl Madonna, followed by Bon Jovi, friend of the show Bon Jovi. Uh, then we go to Billy Idol and the Cult, followed by The Cure, Beastie Boys and Run DMC, Motley Crue and Whitesnake. Then we have Tina Turner and Wang Chung. Uh, then we have Roger Waters. <laughs> What, what up? What did I mess up there? Wong Chung, I just totally fucked them over. 
Well, it's it's funny because it's just before your time. It is. Everybody wang chung Dude, tonight. I, I hear that song on W. Everybody have I hear fun that song on CBS all the time, and I'm just like, I can do without this in my So life. it's not Wang Chung. It's Wang Chung. Wang Chung. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um. Then we have David Bowie, Whitney Houston, The Grateful Dead. Uh, you two and the Pogues got that one right. Uh, Pink Floyd, Eddie Murphy, The Cars, Rush, Yes, and oh my God, fuck me, Depeche Mode. I don't even know. Wow, <laughs> Benny, I was born in 1993. I was not even a thought in 1987. What are your two? <laughs> well, let me tell you, you definitely know a lot of Depeche Mode songs too. <laughs> they are called Depeche Mode. And every new wave kid of the '80s just just rolled over in their cubicles when they said that. <laughs> so I had a little fun with this question because I was looking at this list perplexed because mm. I had no idea who I should choose. And a couple of questions came up. One of which was, "Is this Eddie Murphy stand-up or Eddie Murphy music?" which is a big delineation yeah. because if he's doing like raw that brings it up to the list. If he's doing, uh, you know, his party tracks, his dance tracks, then, you know, I'll pass. Mm. So I took a, a poll in the studio here and only one, two of these had multiple votes mm. and the multiple votes were Tom Petty Mm-hmm. And Beastie Boys and Run DMC mm. in 1987. Now, I was trying to think, what is just the most uniquely 1987 thing? Who was at their peak? And what would have been the best show at their peak? Yeah. And there's a couple on this list that I might need to break away from my friends. Mm. Madonna, New York City, mm -hmm. 1987. Hometown show. So that's kind of a big deal. You 2 and the Pogues. 1987 that's an interesting one because mm. they were kind of at their peak of being cool that was kind of maybe the last chance you got to see the pogues being cool i know you're not into it but duran duran really classic 80s stuff in an yeah. arena rock setting would have been incredible so this was a very very hard one for me oh and not to mention whitney houston yeah. from just down the road 1987 peak of her powers mm -hmm. so this is like one of the hardest lists i've ever had to decipher mm -hmm. through i don't even you you gave me like a real <laughs> mind fuck when you sent this to me because usually i can see these and i'm like boom done yeah. now the thing i had to delineate from is like not who's my favorite artist on the list because i do love the beastie boys but I don't know if I care that much about seeing BC Boys and Run DMC in 1987. Yeah. Like the show was probably fine and like fun, but like nothing compared to like the cure at MSG. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's a show. So I had to take Maiden out because they weren't at the peak of their powers. My final vote for this is going to be Whitney Houston and you two. Okay, okay. You know, I was scared that we were, you know, when you brought up Whitney, that we were going to agree here because I went Whitney as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. We are a pro-Whitney program. Dude, we love our... Honestly, if you're from Jersey, like, you can't go wrong by us. But so um, I, I, I did look up this show. It was... Uh, 
for Eddie, it was joint stand-up with a little bit of music thrown in there as well. So you're getting party all the like time. A variety night, though. Yeah. And so this was on... This was near the end of the Raw tour. So what you saw in Raw was what you were getting in this uh, stand-up special at MSG. So you're talking like guy absolutely... That's Eddie, peak of his powers. And then you're also getting Whitney, I mean, peak of her powers, because that was two months, I believe, after uh, the Whitney album came out. So just an, just an all-time time oh, to go see on. both of these people. Yeah, The Whitney tour. Yeah, like, yeah. If you were going to see Whitney Houston, that's when you should see Whitney Houston. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough list, though. Great question. And uh, I think you would get a different answer based on, like, I'd be fascinated to see where this answer would go, bringing the question to different cultural groups, mm. you know, because it's no it's it's not a surprise that in a group of people that look like the group of people I just asked, mm. they heavily voted for Tom Petty and the Beastie Boys. Yeah. You know? you know, the love for Tom Petty was there even before he passed, but it just adds a, a little something to that answer now that you can't really see him anymore. But what percentage of our, our audience is big Depeche Mode fans? How about that? I'd say a pretty, pretty decent chunk here. Yeah. Like anyone my age is probably into Depeche Mode or at least knows some Depeche Mode songs. Please, I, I'm curious to hear the answer to this. Yeah. Let's get some feedback to see, and you better not cut out you saying Depeche Mode. <laughs> no, dude. Dude, I better not cut, cut out. out. I, I haven't cut out anything I've like said that's embarrassing since like episode 31. Okay. <laughs> okay. Come Depeche on. Depeche Mode it is. Dude, that'd be a great fucking ice cream place. Depeche Mode. Um, One more music headline today. Uh, next story, and it's kind of a follow-up on what we've done. Uh, Winston Marshall has left Mumford & Sons, Benny. Now, I know on any other circumstances, it'd be like, why would we care about this story? Well, we care because it's a weird political meets music story. So if you yeah. remember, he tweeted an endorsement of um, the book Unmasked, which uh, claims to give an inside account on Antifa. Um, you know, that's been brought up in a number of political circles. We don't need to rehash that. So on Thursday, he wrote a medium post, you know, like the blog hosting platform that he uh, no longer wanted to take away from Mumford and Sons. And he wanted to further commit to his philanthropic work, which sounds very noble. Um, I kind of think he didn't want, uh, to take away attention from the band, but also by going on this whole long thing about how, oh man, we slept in each and every place, and then I don't like the lifestyle of uh, singing the same songs and getting paid handsomely. It's like, dude, you could have just said, I'm stepping away for personal reasons. People would have been like, cool. Anyway, Benny, I'd love to know what you make of this entire thing. So I, I'm not going to get too deep in it because like, we're talking all about stuff that I don't know about. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff to me is based on like benefit of the doubt, you know? So I don't know the book. I don't know the author. I don't know the musician. And I only know his group on a cursory level. Mm. So I'm going to look at this from like sort of a broad paintbrush. Yeah. Now, because of that, like, you know, an artist that I enjoy or something who maybe uh, you know, the years and years of posts prior to this post has been 
things that are consistent with a certain ideology, I might be like, oh, okay, this guy's just thinking a little bit about something else. If it's coming out of nowhere or if it's consistent with a different ideology that they've been preaching, then it's a totally different story. What I do know is that posting what he posted uh, was not the way to do it. Mm. Like, I, I couldn't think about the actual minutia of the situation, but only his handling of it. And what I don't like is in the nicest way possible, because, you know, of course he used like the softest language and made mm -hmm. it sound as sweet as possible. Use these weird quotes from like other authors and magazines that kind of had nothing to do with what <laughs> it, it almost sounds like he was using his own confirmation bias just to get to like where he wanted to go. But I don't like the idea that he's taken the position that's just like, oh, if you say one thing the left disagrees with, then you're on the right. And like, so basically he turned himself into some weird, you Modern. know, I'm getting bullied by politics and I'm getting bullied by the world. And you know what? Like, I have like 12,000 people that follow me on Twitter. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm in a marginally successful band that hasn't played in a long time and I'm not good at social media. Right. You know this as well as anyone. I know with 100% certainty if I post that fucking book and what it's about yeah. exactly what people are going to think. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, I also don't believe someone who's so tied into this stuff, who's so young, who's so engaged with his fans and the social community, just didn't know that there was no, like, implication to posting something like that at this time. Yeah. So that part is bullshit. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the behind closed doors is with him and his band and, you know, how they're supporting him. And maybe it's like outward support, but really at practice, they're like, <laughs> you fucking dumbass. Like, I don't know, you know, like yeah. it could be a whole nother story at play there. But uh, yeah, I didn't really buy it. Uh, I also kind of don't care yeah. about like the drama behind it. Like you yeah. want to leave that band? Cool, leave that man. money on the table for someone else to go get like sure there's a lot of fucking musicians who want it pal like, he's got to be maybe the most high the highest paid banjo player in the world probably outside of steve martin but steve martin yeah, not, right? people don't even come for the banjo yeah yeah he's the highest paid banjo player without fucking father of the bride like i'll take steve you know what was funny though about reading this i you know reading it and seeing those quotes, as you mentioned, I was like, man, this kind of reminds me of uh, of my old basketball game stories that I used to write for both the Bucks and Marquette. Mm. It's like XYZ happened, insert quote by a coach that has nothing to do and is very vague and has nothing to do. It's a, right, right, it's, right. it's the entire practice of, of writing there, but interesting stuff yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It was like he was um, he was really trying to soften it up and make people see his side. And, and maybe some people do. Too. I don't know. Yeah. We're a tough crowd, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, That is a big fan of the Depeche Mode, the Peach Mode. <laughs> hey, the Peach Mode. Hey, the Peach Mode. Oh, man, it's, it's a restaurant in Hoboken. Benny, let's turn our attention to the hardware. Uh, well, you know, I've got championships on the brain. But uh, let's turn our attention to the hardwood. Uh, Benny, before we even get into the conference finals, do you kind of want to put a bow on the next season a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's short and sweet. Mm. And I think everybody knows. Yeah. If they were marginally healthier, they win. Mm -hmm. And if they were totally healthy, they essentially crush everyone. Yeah. 
Um, so I think that's like what the bow is. Uh, I think we did leave ourselves with some interesting question marks as far as the roster next year, who you're bringing back and who you're re-signing, particularly uh, what you want to do with Bruce Brown and if you want to pay him what it's going to take. And the concerning play of Joe Harris, I think that's one of the things that is fair to talk about because anybody who watched that series saw, uh, like, you know, a $16, $18 million man look like terrified, like he wanted to be anywhere else. The closest thing to Ben Simmons I saw in this series, maybe him. So I think that's fair to talk about, but I'm, uh, I'm happy. I'm still happy. I think it was a great ride and a great season. I think watching Kevin Durant do godlike things in game six and seven bodes particularly well for next season because the Nets are rostering one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the game. So I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, Curious what they do. And um, what about a bow? It's a bow for that. Yeah. A nice bow. I'll give give the Nets, give the Nets an eight. Give him an eight out of ten for this year. Benny, it's very much like, you know, when a hurricane is coming and you get like the like the rain beforehand, the wind starts coming in, you look up in the sky and be like, This is strange. Why, you know, I gotta hunker down the house. It was kind of a warning shot this season, mm-hmm. um, to the rest mm-hmm. of the NBA that if this team can stay healthy and if, if I'm going to allow this hurricane metaphor to go even further, if it hits land, it's going to be devastating. And by hit land, That's I mean right. stay healthy. So a uh, lot to right. like there. All right, now let's turn our attention to the conference finals. And Benny, I just haven't... Okay, journalists had off, all this stuff hat off. As a Bucks fan here, I have... These have been the, some of the worst playoffs to enjoy from a sitting... I did not enjoy it a second of that net series i enjoyed 0.3 seconds of the net series the rest of it i needed like an 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 acid tablet anyway journalist journalist hat back on in the east we we saw on wednesday that the atlanta hawks took a 1-0 series lead following trey young's 48 point performance a kid kid was doing god level stuff it it was amazing to see out there uh the bucks did not come out in this with the same intensity in game one of the conference finals that they had against the Nets. So, Benny, I'm just kind of curious what you think of this Hawks postseason and how far you think that this is going to go before Mike Boonholzer wakes up. Well, I mean, just to comment on the Hawks postseason, it's great. It's great. It's like I love seeing uh, a team that everybody wrote off and a player that most people didn't write off, but uh, put his ceiling a lot lower than mm. where it is currently. Uh, I love seeing them do these things. And I particularly like seeing Trey Young do it against someone like Ben Simmons, who couldn't be the more polar opposite. You know, here's Ben Simmons, like nothing but physical talent. Yeah, That's all he has. That's all that guy has. He's got this amazing physical talent that could do anything. There's this mental thing getting in his way. Here's this little guy who walks into the room like he's got a fucking 22-inch dick, you know, thinking he's going to run the place. I love it. I think it's so much fun, and I love his swag. Mm. Uh, I am curious to see how he's going to react when someone lays his fucking ass out, you know, before this, you know, 
before this is all over. Someone's going to get to him. Mm. Bobby Portis, PJ Tucker, <laughs> yeah. one of those guys are going to do something dirty. They're going to fuck with him. We'll see how see how he comes to that too cuz cuz right now he's riding high on being braggadocious with positivity. Yeah. So let's see what happens when you get your ass handed to you too. But I mean, to think this Hawks team that we wrote off yeah. is the fourth team in NBA history to win three game ones on the road in the playoffs. Crazy. And that's just now. Yeah. Like who the fucking thought that that was the case? Yeah. It, I mean, the only other teams that did are the '99 Knicks, the '89 Bulls, and the '81 Rockets. Like it's elite company. Yeah. So, uh, all that being said, I expect the Bucks to rebound, and I actually expect the Bucks to win the series. But with the company they're in and the kind of run they're going, and the way this playoffs are going. The Bucks are one weird injury from this Hawks team just like swooping right past them. It could be one of the strangest finals we ever see. It's already one of the strangest conference finals we ever see. So I love watching it, but I do think uh, the Hawk, the Bucks still have enough answers that they're going to get past them. Swooping right past them. I love that. Look at you writing there. That uh, that's that would be every sports writer's lead right there. But uh no, I think Benny <laughs> Did you see Shaq doing that? Sha- Shaq's out here doing it cuz he owns every single Krispy Kreme in Atlanta. But uh Benny, this was yeah, the right. this yeah. was the Hawks' first conference final win since 1969. That's fucking crazy. Woo, that's, that's awesome. That that's, that's so awesome. crazy. And I think I heard that that was the uh the Washington Wizards now with the longest streak of no conference finals wins. That's right. That's right. No, but the thing that I thought to go back to game one here, I do not understand why P.J. Tucker was not on Trey outside of the fact that he probably can't stay with his agility. Um, very different game than KD. Instead, they put Pat Connington, who's the meme of his outstretched arm, is going to live forever. It's, it's almost like uh, the mural on the Sistine Chapel, him just trying to reach out, trying to block Trey Young uh, down in, in crunch time last night. So the defense wasn't there. Uh, we, we saw the end of Jeff Teague's career last night, so that was dope. Um, and just overall... Like the the intensity and the defensive effort, which is what this Bucks team hangs its hat on. They were just like, oh, this Hawks team is cute. The Sixers were trash. The Knicks were trash. We're this high and mighty team, and you know they acted like it. And to me, that starts at the top. Yeah, they do carry themselves strangely. It's true. All right, moving over to the West Coast. And Benny, as it stands now, we're recording this before Game 3 of the Western Conference Final. The Suns are up 2-0. Boy, that... Can we take a moment to talk about that Jay Crowder to DeAndre Ayton pass? It's going to be the highest paid nft probably in history the value <laughs> sponsored by state farming and and, yeah. and yeah, uncle yeah. cliff exactly game three tonight chris paul is back we're not sure when Kawhi leonard is going to be back um so it's all coming up sons in this western conference final series i'm i'm convinced that they're gonna take the three games to on lead so benny if the suns steal one on the road is this series over Yes. I mean, if they went on the road this time, sure, yeah. the series is over. But I think, uh, yeah, the announcement today that Chris Paul's coming back kind of changes the landscape. I was assuming, I mean, you're seeing a lot of these articles and, and stuff today. And I think I said it even a week or two on this show that Ty Lue deserves a lot of credit 
what he's been doing with the roster, molding people around, getting the best out of people you didn't think you were going to get, blah, blah, blah. But Chris Paul is in like, I mean, so far this playoffs, when he's healthy enough, he's in closer mode. Yeah. You know, he's not trying to fuck around right now. And uh, the Suns are riding high, which either means, you know, they're in that classic, you know, we're going to keep rolling or like we're primed for a, uh, for a gut punch yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, they are still young and the idea that they're up to, Oh, coming off a win like that. It's been a beautiful two days on the internet, watching <laughs> fucking memes and stuff, you know, Clippers could come angry. They got that gritty group. So I, I could definitely see tonight going the Clippers way. And um, especially with what we've seen through this postseason, that obviously LA is not afraid of that situation. They have a lot of vets who, don't see an O2 hole as a, an unmanageable one. So I, I kind of expect them to make it this series. And the interesting thing this series for me has been Paul George. He has had games where he looks all NBA, but then he yeah. get, then he goes like, I don't know, like like 5 of 24 from the field and gets like 15 points, and you're like, we need more from you, especially with Kawhi out. And the other thing I just want to touch on when it comes to the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard Boy, if you're a player, you need to get Kawhi Leonard's agent and publicist because when this guy's hurt, the timetable, you don't know. It's like up in space, and, he, mm. and, and you're just kind of like sitting there and be like, oh, is Kawhi going to play today? When Kawhi Leonard right. may not play till next season. It's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of messing. I mean, I know why you have to keep towing it. You want the Suns to keep game planning for him and, you know, them to not know what's going on, but... Yeah, you sure as shit. It's looking like crunch time where you need Kawhi to come back, right? But it's so crazy because, like, per NBA rules, like, you have to disclose these things. Like, if a guy's done for the series, you have to disclose it. I don't know who he has blackmail on that he keeps being like, oh, I'm day-to-day when, like, you're not day-to-day. You're you're down in, I don't know, like, Costa Mesa rehabbing. Like, it's crazy. But what do you – I mean, like, who – it's your team that's listing you as day to day. So you only have to convince your own people and your own staff and your own team you can list them however the fuck they want. And unless it's like a just gross negligence of the rule, they're never going to do anything about it. You yeah. Know? All right, Benny, a couple few more NBA notes to get to before we kind of head out of here. A pair of coaching updates. We've been all, all over this. Uh, Rick Carlisle lined up to be the next coach of the Indiana Pacers. Solid yeah. move to extend your career. What do you make of this fit? Oh, it's perfect. You know, he wanted to come back. They got pieces ready to go. He's got a relationship with the GM. So I think this is a perfect fit. Um, a lot of people saw it coming, mm. especially in the idea that I think Carlisle probably had this set up before he left Dallas. Yeah. I thought the most interesting part of this was how heavily he advocated for Jason Kidd to get the Dallas job, <laughs> which is a strange, strange <laughs> thing to play with. Like when you leave to, to, so heavily handed heavily handedly do it so makes me think he already knows that it's going to happen or he's kind of fucking with cuban a little bit um so i think it's great and carlisle indiana i expect them to to actually be in the playoffs next year and not in the uh playing yeah i mean you we've seen this one (laughs) carlisle has switched teams the team instantly gets better i I think Mm -hmm. his you know a, a combination of the front office turmoil they I, got pieces. They yeah. got good pieces. Yeah. yeah. 
So I, I think Indiana is, is a team that all along we expected to be a top four team. And I think with a guy like Carlisle, they get back there. Plus the, the dump truck they backed up. Like they brought him all of the shrimp from Elmo's uh, steakhouse <laughs> over there uh, to his front door. So, <laughs> And then, Benny, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the Boston Celtics coaching job. Uh, the Celtics are set to hire Ime Adoke as their next head coach. That is the hardest name all day. And I just <laughs> fucking breeze right through it. Um <laughs> According to people close to the Nets, he was a real stabilizing presence in the Nets locker room. He served last year in Brooklyn on that staff with everybody yeah. that had never coached before. And he was probably like, hey, what's up? Um, yeah. Kind of teaching Amari how to sit on the bench and, and actually do game reports. How about that? Right, um, right. So, Benny, what do you make of Boston bringing in a guy who's a real players coach and a stabilizing force in a locker room that very much needs it? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and claim to know anything about the guy and his coaching acumen, um, but I like the fact that Boston uh, chose a person of color as the coach. We talked mm-hmm. about this through the last couple of weeks. I didn't like the old buddy system of what happened with Brad yeah. Stevens, and I thought that it would have been an awful optic in every way for them to not do that. So that's good. I also like this trend of uh former players giving them a chance to to run a good team right off the bat um so in that regard i think it's great um the strangest part about it was jay williams tweet (laughs) like come on jay you just got to admit it this time you fucked up (laughs) you know you forgot about doc you forgot about bill russell it's okay but like come on the hacking thing so 2014 man like we know you use yeah. the same ellipses and shit like come on listen no one's, gonna, no one's gonna hack you and do that you know <laughs> jay as somebody that messes up on this program each and every week it, it it's fine to admit that you just, just said the pj mode just lean into it just just act just like james harden no try to draw the foul no but it's been used to being the best a long time you know <laughs> uh there's there's a lot to Jay Williams that we'll get into offline, but Benny, yeah, let's uh, let's transition into baseball here. And I know it's gonna uh, th- there's a good portion of of our audience that's cheering right now that we're actually talking about baseball. But let's get into you know a follow up once again on the the sticky stuff uh, story that we talked on a couple weeks ago. And it seems yeah. like every single night a pitcher in Major League Baseball is getting harassed for using this stuff or a- allegations that they are. Um, this past week, we saw Max Scherzer get harassed by Joe Girardi, um, which was the funniest thing. Uh, the the John Boy uh, media breakdown of this was one of the funniest things I saw this week. But So I get a lot of managers uh, wanting to keep pitchers honest, but there's a paranoia that exists in baseball um, that someone is always trying to get something in on you and all of this stuff. So what do you make of all of this? Uh, do you blame the pitchers or do the managers need to get off their high horse? I gotta be honest. I think, I think Girardi might have been making a point. Mm. And and the one thing is like, I know they they like to call Girardi like a troll, and that guy is like, I watched that dude do press conferences for like a decade. Like he is the most serious. You know, it's like you're watching uh, just an army general do a post conference every time. Is you know, it's not a, he's not like that. Yeah, but. I think you saw really quickly uh, a gaping 
fundamental flaw in what they're trying to do right now. And I think a lot of coaches knew it. Girardi saw it and he outed it on TV against one of the best pitchers in baseball. Just to show any manager at any time can drive one of the best pitchers in baseball insane if they feel like it. Yeah. That's an issue. That's an issue with this rule. It's another one of the reasons baseball needed to take, have some tact, be a little more forward thinking as usual, come up with something prior to the season at the end of the season, like anything, but what they did, but haphazardly like tossing this stuff into the ring, just cause some articles came out calling you guys out. It's bullshit. It's getting people hurt. It's getting them angry. It just looks fucking bad. Um, you know, as if baseball needed more ways to look shitty and annoying to yeah. kids. Now you're watching like a bunch of bosses harass the <laughs> best players. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's not going to work. It's unsustainable. And I, I get the feeling that Girardi might have been uh, exposing that in his actions. And it's just crazy. Like, we know how much baseball players touch their hat and, quite frankly, every single part of their body. Like, if we're going to yeah. just get mad at a guy for touching their hat, they've been doing this as long as yeah. baseball has existed. Get that ball sweat off your hat, boy. And they made, they had to check the bald spot on the top of, of his head, and it was just like, <laughs> like he yeah. had, like, for so five minutes. It's oh, like my gosh. It's like, let me check your bald spot and take your pants off, kid. Yeah, like, come on. Then there was uh, the... These guys are not going to be into this. This is like... Yeah. Then there was the pitcher last night in San Diego who, as soon as the refs called him over, he just dropped his pants. Yeah. Like, just dropped his pants. So it's sad Romo, what's happening. I mean, Romo's... He's, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a firecracker anyway, but yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, all right. Almost home here on the tune-up. Uh, and Benny, sometimes near the end of a concert, you want one more song, and the band is like, no, we're going to give you. And then other times, they're like, we're going to come back for one more. And that's what we call this segment on the tune-up. It's time for the tune-up encore. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need y'all to roll. For me this time, I, you know, I get a little serious for a minute. I want to send my own personal love and support to Mark Coppice, who uh, came out on social media a couple days that he was having cancer treatments and is obviously going through a bout with cancer. It's one of those strange ones when I found out because uh, I never met the guy. I don't know him personally, but I feel so attached to him and his music just because of, you know, 20 plus years of this guy being in my narrative, but also being very transparent and cool and kind of the type of person you thought you knew a little bit. And maybe that's one of the beauties of Blink anyway. So I, uh, I'm really feeling it and, and I'm really pulling for Mark. He's always come off as such a positive guy and such a good life force for the punk scene. So I want to, uh, send some love his way. I saw that too. It's just, just awful. Just awful. Cancer is, uh, and chemo is a heck of a thing. Um, Benny, so my encore for this week, you know, I don't know if you saw this on First Take this week. The First Take crew went after the city of Milwaukee, a city that I lived in, you love, um, calling it a terrible city. Molly Quarum, who, you know, she went Not to, a terrible she city. went to Quinnipiac, called it a terrible city, which I mean, listen, I've been out there to Camden. It's, it's, it's no better. Um, <laughs> but the entire crew 
Uh, Max Kellerman had a bit of pushback. Stephen A was like, I'm actively rooting for Atlanta and LA in this series, but that's just because he wants to party and have a good time. I get that. But, and you would think that that's where I would stop the criticism, but the sensitivity from the people in Milwaukee, listen, New York, LA, Chicago, all of these cities get called shitholes every single day, and you don't see people being like, ho, 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 we're not a terrible city. Like like the town account tweeted about it. My own alma mater tweeted about it. The Bucks tweeted about it. It's like, listen, you're a great city. Own it. You don't need first take to validate you. If you need Stephen A. Smith's validation in any sense of the word, that's a you problem, not a him problem. Um, but for anyone considering going to Milwaukee this summer, hell of a time. Check out Summerfest. Check out the incredible venues for to drink, eat, and be merry. I'm with you, Denny. I've had a great time in Milwaukee many <laughs> times. I've been to a lot of crap cities throughout this country. Milwaukee's not one of them. Very few cities have a good casino downtown. Pato, Pato. Lost a lot of my uh, college sure. money there. So. I'll tell you a story another time when uh, the dealer fell asleep on me at the Detroit Greek Casino. That happened. Well, if you have stories that you would like to share with us, email us at the Podcast at gmail.com to P's and F. If you want to follow the program on social, we are at the Tuneup HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1 on Twitter. Benny, oh, I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, that's it. Recommit to kindness. Be nice to everyone. It pays off. Be kind. Rewind. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.